0: Alright, I'm very glad to be back today continuing this series we're calling Elements. Uh, in the book of Galatians, it's really a letter, we call it a book, but in the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church, uh, he gives a letter uh, or a list of very special character traits called the fruit of the Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's a little confusing to a lot of us. So let me kind of explain how this works. When we give our lives to Christ, uh, Jesus sends us the Holy Spirit of God to live inside of us. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, that is when we move from dead in our sins to alive in Christ. It is when we um, go from kind of stuck and slaves to our sin where we can't really do the things we want to do, live in a godly way, to having the power, thanks to the Holy Spirit, to live a life that honors God and a life that is actually better for us. And when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, Paul says that we as Christians should have certain traits and attributes that are just present in our lives because we are believers. And he calls that the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I like that he calls it the fruit because just like A lemon tree naturally grows lemons, and just like a grapevine naturally grows grapes, so those of us who are in the spirit, we should naturally have these kind of traits coming out of our lives. And the traits, as we've talked at, looked at very, very many times, uh, are in Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit, let's all say these together. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And it says, against such things there is no law, because nobody in their right mind, no nation in their right mind would ever make laws making any of these things punishable by jail or fines, because all of these traits are so overwhelmingly good. Now, um, The fruit we are looking at today in this series is patience. And I got to tell you, I wasn't really looking forward to this one because patience is not my virtue. And anybody else there with me? Patience? not? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Patience is not my virtue. Uh, I have never, ever been a patient person. I remember being a kid. um, I have, well, I'm kind of the runt of my family by several years. And so all my cousins and brothers and sisters are a lot older than me. So when I was a little kid, I had one of my cousins who was married and lived in St. Louis. And every once in a while on a Saturday, they'd drive over. And I just loved it when her and her husband came over. I had such a blast. And so when I knew they were coming, I would wake up Saturday morning. Hey, mom, are, are, they, are they on their way yet? I don't think so. Mom, are they on their way yet? I don't think so. And then when I knew they were on their way, I would alternate between looking out uh, the living room window at the road and then running to my mom, hey mom, are they almost here? No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> hey mom, are they almost here? I don't think so. And I just, I remember just, you know, ping pong and back and forth between that window and my mom just asking, are they here yet? Uh, I'm, I was always the kid who blew through opening all of his Christmas presents in five minutes. I didn't know who gave what, I didn't read any tags, because why would you read a tag when there's so many good things to unwrap? And so I would unwrap my presents, and then I would sit there for the next hour watching everybody else open their presents and being disappointed that I didn't have anything left to open. But it was all my fault, so I understand that. And the the thing that's funny about God is that God gives us kids that are exactly like us growing up so that we can understand the frustrations our parents had to deal with and God has given me two children that are exactly like me. Uh, the other day, we were last week, we, we drove down to Fairfield to my mom and dad's house, and we left Loami, We get everybody in the car. It's a three-hour drive, and we had not even left Loami. I mean, we pull out there. The end of town is right there. And before we got out of town, I kid you not, James says, Dad, are we almost to Nana's yet? I go, what? <laughs> he goes, are we almost there yet? Are we there yet? go to sleep, you know, stop, and, and here the real irony is that, um, I can't, and this is also not a joke, he was wearing this shirt. I mean, it was like we prophetically dressed him that morning, I guess, and it's like we, should, we were asking for it, you know, and we oh, there yet? and he asked me that at least 25 times over the course of the next three hours, um, and he slept for most of the trip, so that was a really condensed 25 times. Uh, and then this last Christmas, we, we uh, woke the boys up, and we said, okay, well, I know you're excited about presents, but we're going to go eat breakfast, and after that, we'll all sit down, and we'll open all the presents, so p- breakfast, then presents, and we're kind of wrapping up breakfast, and James runs in, true to tattling big brother form, and says, Jude's unwrapping presents, <laughs> and I kind of get up, and I'm like, I'm mad, you know, I'm like, hey, what are you doing, and I walk in there, and he'd had his biggest present, and he's got most of the paper off, and I go, what are you doing, and he said, you said we'd unwrap after breakfast. And he was done with breakfast. And it just never occurred to him that maybe the rest of us would want to be there for this moment. He was just excited to open presents. And he waited. He ate all the food. He waited the proper amount of time. And so I couldn't really be mad. I was like, well, let's just hold on a minute. Yes, you know, one present. It's exciting. And so that is how I grew up. And that is how I apparently am going to endure raising my children through these young years. Um, And so I wasn't particularly excited when I knew patience was coming up because I lack patience. So you can imagine my extreme excitement when I realized that the word patience that appears in Galatians here doesn't actually really fully mean what we think of when we think of as patience. And maybe I'm the only one here, but when I hear the word patience, I just think of waiting peacefully, I think of, you're at the doctor's office in the waiting room and someone comes out and says, hey, we're running a little behind, it might be another 20 minutes. Oh, okay, sure, go ahead, that's fine, and not getting mad. Okay? I think waiting peacefully, that's what I think of when I hear the word patience. But this word, patience, that we find in Galatians actually means a lot, a lot more than that. You see, in, uh, the, the word was written Uh, Excuse me, the the New Testament was written originally in Greek, and so everything's got to be translated over, and so some things are easy to translate, but some words, you know, they have broad meanings and double meanings, and this is one of those words. And patience is an okay definition, but it doesn't really help us understand the fullness of what it means to be patient, as it's talking about here in Galatians. Uh, Because the word actually means to endure when you're being treated sinfully, to endure when you're being persecuted for your faith, to endure when you are being uh, mistreated. So you'll see there's a little bit of that patience, okay? Um, you know, like, but, but it makes me more think of when your parents are patient with you, when you're at the grocery store, Because you know they're going to get it at home, you know, that kind of thing. Like, it's that more, it's more like in that line when someone's mistreating you, you don't blow up at them, you kind of hold it back. And so that's kind of the idea of patience here it's enduring, standing firm when you're being mistreated, it's holding up under the weight of being mistreated by people in your life. And so, you know, I didn't really like patience as a translation because it's a little bit, uh, too small of a definition. Um, if you have a newer NIV translation, this list says love, joy, peace, forbearance. Maybe if you got one of those. And uh, every week, actually, I have been manually having to t- take out forbearance and type in patience in the computer because it always wants to put that in there. But I have never once used the word forbearance in my life, ever. And so I look at that and I'm like, What's that even mean? Surely we can find a better word. Uh, you go back to the, k- the classic King James, and it says love, joy, peace, long-suffering, which that actually gets us a little bit closer to what we're, we're talking about. You are willing to endure long periods of being mistreated, long periods of being persecuted, long periods of suffering for a, a good reason, which we'll get into here in a little bit. Another translation I saw that I liked was long-temper. I thought that was pretty good, and the reason I like those two, uh, long temper makes me think I got a long fuse, right? That's what it makes. I don't get angry quick. I'm not going to blow up on people the moment they do something against me. I got, am not a short fuse person. I'm a long fuse person. I got a lot of temper that you can burn through before you get to the molten magma core that is my rage. Okay, and then long suffering I like just because it does give us that picture of me being willing to endure, to wait patiently to sit and, and endure those moments when people are treating me badly in my life. And so that's what we're going to be spending the rest of our time talking about this morning. How do we live, how do we handle it when we are mistreated by people? How do we handle it when we are persecuted by our, for our faith? Or we, argue, we, we do get treated differently for being a Christian. How do we handle it? How do we stand up when the people in our lives are living in a sinful or evil way against us? And, you know, I, I want us to feel it a little bit. I want you to feel a little bit of anger. So if you don't get a little bit, like, feel that little bit of, you know, heat in your, in your core start to rise in just a moment as we go through this, I'm not doing my job right. So hopefully, because I want us to feel it. Because if you don't feel a little bit angry as we talk about this, and, or at least you don't think of a scenario in your life that makes you a little bit angry, I, I'm afraid this isn't going to really resonate with you in the way that it should. Um, when I was in high school, and what we all did, we all parked our cars at Leo French Park. On um, that's how you started every weekend. You go and you park at Leo French and everybody parked their cars. You'd climb into one buddy's car, you go out and do what you're gonna do for the night, you come back, everybody gets in their cars and goes home. We did that all the time, every week. And so one week I uh, do that, get in someone else's car, we leave, we come back. I get in my car, it's dark, I didn't think anything about it. I thought my head, <coughs> excuse me, my headlights were a little dim on the way home and I get home to kind of see if my headlights burn out and I realize it's busted out. And I've told you this before, someone had gone from bumper to bumper and just smashed my car up with a baseball bat. Luckily they left me one headlight, but uh, they, they just, I mean, and it was a, my beautiful 1987 Ford Thunderbird Turbo Coupe in Crimson. It was a beautiful car. And it had a little giddy-up to it, even though it was a four-cylinder, that turbocharger gave it a little oomph, you know. And that was kind of the beginning of the end for that poor car, but it just, you know, and, and it just, it made me so mad. And then I found out who did it, and it was some guy in my class who's just a punk I never hardly ever talked to the guy. He was just hanging out at the park like everybody else. Somebody had a bat, and he thought he'd do it because it'd make him look tough to his friends, and they'd think he was cool, which it did, and he thought he could get away with it, which he did, because true to good friends, nobody's willing to rat this guy out, and so he got away with it, and to this day, even telling you this, even though I knew I was going to tell this story and know what I'm talking about, I get a little bit angry because it's like what he had no reason to do it i was just parking my car with all the other cars mine was the only car in the whole parking lot that he centered in on and maybe you got a situation like that where somebody just blatantly out and out did something that just kind of sabotaged something in your life and it was it was strictly with the intention to hurt you or inconvenience you or maybe just something they did that hurt you for their own pleasure Um, another one i think i'll get a few more people riled up with this one maybe Maybe the thing that makes you mad is anything that you look at that's just any rem- even remotely politically based. And you look at our world and you, you say, we're all going to hell. This whole world is a mess and you, it doesn't take much to get you ranting about the moral direction of our country. And maybe you would like to take every politician that's on the other side of the aisle out to the woodshed and teach them a lesson. And maybe you'd like to take half of the politicians that are on the same side of the aisle as you out to the woodshed and teach them a lesson. And you feel like everything's immoral, everything is corrupt. You feel like maybe we're li- starting to live in a world where Christianity is uh, not as you know, accepted as it once was and, and where other religions seem to be accepted and encouraged. But don't be a Christian because you know that's not cool. And maybe that's the way you feel about anything political. And it doesn't take much of these political commercials that are airing every five seconds to make your blood pressure start to tick up a few notches. Maybe that's the thing that makes you mad. Maybe what makes you mad is going to work. Maybe you go to work every day of the week and you just dread going to work because you know the kind of people that you're going to be with and you think this whole place is run by imbeciles. Does any, nobody knows what they're doing. Your, maybe your boss is the kind of person who is kind of the overlord who only has bad ideas, but that's the only ideas that get a go. Or maybe you live in the kind of place where it makes you feel like you're back in, or work in the kind of place that makes you feel like you're back in high school again. Because even though you're an adult in a professional environment, the only way to really get ahead is to be in with the cool kids. And you're like, we're all like in our 40s and 50s. How do we still have the cool kids? Like, what is going on here? Didn't we grow up past this? And it makes you so mad because only this select group of people seem to really get ahead because you got to be in in a certain way, in a certain crowd. And, and that just makes your blood boil when you go to work. And maybe when you're working, you dream. You daydream. Look out the window and daydream of that day when you, you win that big Powerball. And you're going to go into work, and you're going to say, I quit! And you're going to tell everybody off. And you're going to do that grand storm out. And you're going to walk out of there with your head held high knowing that you're going to be a legend at work. And they're going to talk about you for years to come. You know, one time there was somebody who won the lottery and they made it out of here. And, you, and you, you want to be that person, you know, and, and you daydream about that. And I'm probably, you know, you know, the odds of that are probably not great, right? So, so this is what happens. We have these moments, these things that just enrage us. And, and what we want to do is exactly that. We want to tell people off. We want to get our revenge. We want to do these grand, huge things. And then we come to this passage that tells us, what feels like the opposite, to bear up, to endure in those situations, to be patient when people are mistreating you that way. And, and it, just, it almost doesn't feel right to us, does it? Because I think being this kind of patient is as natural to us as sitting calmly and waiting to open Christmas presents is to my two-and-a-half-year-old. It just doesn't, it's not something that even registers to us all the time. The first thing we want to do is not sit down and take it. We want to kind of stand up and fight back. We want to push back. We want to get a little justice. We want to have something that is a little bit more fair because they deserve to get it back. And it's just that one little word I just said that that we kind of have to understand, justice. Because that's what we really want. We want to get them back. We want to get a little bit of revenge, and some people do that. That's how some people, they get their justice. You treated me bad, I'll treat you bad. You beat up my car with a baseball bat, I'll beat you up with a baseball bat. You know, there's some people that actually live their lives eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and they do it because of a sense of justice. You did wrong to me, so what do you deserve? To get the exact same thing back to you. Now, some people aren't quite that extreme, and so rather than straight up returning eye for eye, When someone mistreats them, um, they just go the direction of tapping into their volcanic vomiting of rage onto that person. And usually the people that that go into the, I'm going to chew you out right now mode, the environment does not matter. It doesn't matter if you're alone or if you're in the middle of a crowded gym at, at a ball game. It doesn't matter if you're in a parking lot full of strangers. It's just you did something to me and now I am going to tell you off and let you have it because that's a form of justice because they can't just walk away thinking that it's okay to treat people that way. Somebody needs to teach them a lesson and that person is me. And uh, So there's, there's varying degrees of how we try to enact our justice. Probably the most indirect version that I see a lot in our day and age of social media is we go and we complain and we share our story of how we've been hurt by somebody or mistreated by somebody with either close friends or you go to your, you know, three, four hundred closest Facebook friends and you post it on Facebook. And we've all seen those like eight paragraph rants of somebody, you know, I don't usually do this on Facebook. By the way, they always start that way, don't they? It's always like eight paragraphs of ranting that start with, you know, this isn't like me to do this. It's like, hmm, you did this last week, so I don't know, and so, you know, this isn't like me, but, and then they start ranting, and they don't give names, but they rant for so long, and they give so many details that everybody knows what they're talking about, everybody knows what's going on, and the reason they do that is they hope that all of us will come along in the comments and say, that's terrible, I'm so sorry that happened to you, I can't believe that somebody treated you that way, and what that, and that's a form of justice, or at least it feels that way, because you feel vindicated that at least other people agree with You. It almost feels like that person who did you wrong, they've been convicted by a jury of their peers because there's all these other people who say, yes, they're wrong. And maybe nothing ever directly happens to them, but it makes you feel better that at least you're not crazy and at least everyone agrees that, yes, they were wrong and you were right. And so we want to get these forms of justice. Maybe you're the extreme revenge person. I hope not. There's plenty of verses about that that we can go to in the Bible. Um, maybe you're the over-the-top, I'm going to let you have it. I don't care where we're standing or who's looking or who's listening. You deserve to hear this and I'm going to say it person. Or maybe you're the Facebook ranter or the person who goes and complains to all your friends hoping to get people to kind of say, yeah, high five, you're right, they're wrong. I don't know what it is that you tend to to, to lean towards, or maybe something that's a mixture of those two, or something completely different. But again, we're called to be patient. We're, we're called to a long-suffering patience. And that is something that many of us have trouble with. I mean, I'm be, I'll be honest with you, I kind of hinted at this before, and you could probably guess this, there is still a part of me that wants to drive back to Fairfield and find that red-headed guy and punch him in the face, because he Never got justice, and there's part of me that, like even if the cops would have got him, call, call, went to his house and t- you know, hey, we know it was you. You watch out. Nothing. Ha- I mean, even that would have felt like something to me, right? But it, nothing ever happened, and so there's a little part of me that still gets riled up. And by the way, that's not a good thing in me. Don't tell, don't hear that. I'm not. I'm not saying, hey, yeah. So go punch whoever's making you mad. That is not the moral. I know it's Super Bowl, and there's you're gonna see a lot of hits today, but please don't don't do one of them. Don't carry out one of them. And so. How do, we, how do we do this? How do we be people who can be long-suffering? Well, one of my favorite passages, and this has been one of my favorite passages uh, ever since I became a Christian and started reading the Bible. This was one that always resonated with me. It's Romans chapter 12, starting at verse 9. Romans 12, starting in verse 9. If you want to get a Bible, uh, that would be fantastic. Or you want to just read the verses on the screen, that's okay, too. Now, I'm going to warn you, this passage starts out one way, and it sounds like it ends very differently. And you're going to think how in the world did we get from here to here? Because it starts out talking about love and it ends up talking about justice. And so, but it, but what it does is it helps us to understand the heart behind this idea of a long temper, a long suffering patience. And then we're going to go a little bit and a little bit to another verse that kind of helps us understand God's perspective on all of this. So let's go to Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 9. <coughs> It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. I love that word cling because it makes me think of um, you're holding on to a, you know, like the light pole in the middle of a tornado, and everything's trying to blow you away from what is good, and you've got to hold on to it because it's hard to hold on to it. When someone does something bad to you, your natural response, as we've said, is going to be to do something bad back to them, to either rant against them, to return some sort of revenge, but this says, no, 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 you hate what is evil. And you cling to what is good no matter how hard it is. We have got to be people as Christians who cling to what is good no matter what the cost. He says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And bless those who persecute you. But I don't want to do that. I want to to give them something, but it's not a blessing, you know. Uh, Bless and do not curse. Um, My kids, and maybe parents, you'll understand this. You never never have to tell them just once, do you? They don't hear that first time. And I, I tell Abby this all the time. I say, it's like if I'm not screaming, it doesn't count. Like, hey, sit down. Hey, sit down. Sit down. You know, I guess that's how it's got to be. Everything goes that way. Well, I love this. He's like, bless those who persecute you. And in case you didn't hear me, bless and do not curse. Because our natural thing is not to bless people, but we want to curse those who are persecuting us. That is always going to be the first place we want to go. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. He says that we should live, live Just practicing patience. Uh, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Man, we are practicing patience today. That's fine though. (laughs) And then again, okay, notice he starts talking about love, but this thing keeps coming back up over and over again. Cling to what is good. Don't persecute people who are up against you. And you know, bless them. Don't curse them. And then again, again. did I jump one? Yeah, we did jump one. Jump back. Give me Hold on a second. Man, alive, this is killing me. There we go. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. We get that again. Do not repay. Again, he's saying it over and over again. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, what is happening? You know what? Rick, I'll just let you handle it, buddy. You just go for it. Where are we going? in morning. Let's keep going. Share the words. keep going. Bless and don't curse. We're past that. Never be lacking. Still keep going. Keep going forward. Man is bouncing all over the place. There we go. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Again, so this is like the fourth time he said the same thing. Do not persecute. Cling to what is good. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for what? God's wrath. Okay, that's interesting. He says, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And there's one more, I think. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, you feed him. If he's thirsty, you give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heat burning coals on his head. And there's one more. It says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So man, after all of that, ten minutes to get through that little verse, there's two ideas that we keep seeing all the way through this passage. The first is, we are called as Christians to live lives that are overflowing with goodness. In fact, that's one of the fruit of the Spirit that we will be talking about very soon. We are to live lives of overwhelming love, overwhelming blessing, in that we do not discriminate in how we show that love. It goes to the people that love us and the people that hate us. We are to be people who are constantly living at a higher standard and sh- of showing love to everyone we encounter. So why, why, when someone treats us with evil, Why would we revert back to the old life out of which Jesus saved us? Why would we backpedal to the old life of sin and evil when God sent his son to die on a cross to raise us up out of that mess? Why would we let evil overcome us? But no, we are living, serving a God who overcomes evil with good. So that is the first thing. Why would we go back to that old mess of a life where, yes, revenge makes sense. Yes, persecuting those who persecute you makes sense. No, we are called to something drastically different, radically different. The second idea we see here is that justice is not ours to take. Justice belongs to God. And there will come a day, and we talk about this not enough in church because it actually helps everything else theologically make sense. But there is a day when Jesus will return, life on earth will end, and those who are in Christ go to heaven, and those who have chosen evil over a savior will receive everything that they have earned through their evil behavior. And that's something that's not entirely pleasant to talk about. But it makes our call as to live a mission to show. Christ much more urgent when you understand that because if if there's no if there's if there is no hell there's nothing to be saved from there is no reason for Jesus to die on a cross there is no reason for us to do what we do every week or, or to go out into the world and serve people and try to share God's love with others there's no reason for it if there is no hell and this is that one day judgment actually is a thing and one day God will take judgment and everybody will reap kind of in a sense what they sow. And that seems kind of weird because the passage talks starts out talking about love. And it ends with heaping burning calls on their head. And it's like, well, that, just, that took a turn there towards the end. What happened? You know? How did that get there? But there's more to God's character and nature than is what is revealed in that last little verse about vengeance being God's. We also were going to take a quick trip to 2 Peter. And I'm going to read a couple verses out of chapter 3. I'm going to read chapter, or verses 3 through 4 and then jump down to verses 7 through 9. It says, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where's this coming you promised? Meaning, we say that Jesus is going to come back and there's going to be reward for those who are saved and punishment for those who have chosen sin over Jesus. And, you know, honestly, it's been 2,000 years and I've heard this statement. Boy, Jesus is really taking his time to come back, isn't he? Why is, it, why is this all taking so long? I've heard people say that. But it's, so, but it's talking about that day of judgment. He goes on. The present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing. So yes, yes he says, yes, that's true. There is judgment coming. But we cannot forget something very important. Dear friends. With the day, or with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness. Instead, he is, what's that word? That's our word, long suffering. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So Jesus is. Who is going to come and be the judge one day? God's hope for you is not vengeance. God isn't just sitting up in heaven. Oh, I can't wait till I can let them have it. No, it says He is long-suffering. He is enduring the evil of the world. He is putting off the day of wrath because of His grace and His mercy. And He wants m- as many people as possible to have every opportunity to hear about salvation, repent of their sin, have their sins forgiven by Jesus, and be moved off the path to hell and on the path to heaven. And that is the result of his long suffering. And, you know, my thought is, if God can be patient with a world full of sinners, and there are sinners in this world who are far worse than anything you have dealt with at work, if God can, can deal, can put up with a world full of sinners, surely you and I can put up with the people in our lives who have treated us unfairly. And, I, you know, I often wonder, Do we have the same heart as God? And it's often revealed in in moments like this. Because the heart of God is he puts off his wrath. He delays his wrath so that we might be healed. So we might find repentance and have salvation in heaven. If we're going to be long-suffering and have patience in the same way that God is talking about, we have to have that same heart. And far too often, our heart is not for the benefit and the blessing of the one who hurts us. It's for their demise. And sometimes I think Christians get a little too excited about the day of vengeance. You'll hear some people get a little, you know, the day's coming when all you evil people are going to get it. Oh, I can't wait till God shows you what's what. That should never be our heart because the heart of God is patience so that people find repentance and salvation. And I wonder how often we as believers hinder the mission of Christ because our first reaction when we're wronged is to blow up in anger, is to rant on Facebook and show people that we are no different than everybody else and we return evil for evil, and we give out revenge, and we persecute those who persecute us, and we live like everybody else, and we are called to live in a drastically different way, like our God, showing patience and love and mercy no matter what the situation. And, you know, I pray for you the same prayer pray for me, because I, like I said, I struggle with this because just like I don't have a lot of patience when it comes to waiting peacefully, the other kind of patience, I ain't got a lot of this either, turns out. I got really excited. I thought, oh good, it doesn't mean waiting patiently. Sweet, this will be a different kind of sermon. And then I start looking at it, and it's like, I think I'm worse at this kind of patience than I am at the other one. And so I'm gonna pr- I pray for you exactly what I pray for myself. And I pray for me and you that our hearts would be more to see the lost people of this world who live in evil, who do horrible things, to see them come to know Jesus and find salvation, rather than to see them get what's coming to them. And that is something that is not natural, but that is why this is called a fruit of the what? Not a fruit of your hard work, not a fruit of you being a really nice, kind, sweet person. This is something that we have to depend on God to help grow in us, because I don't think it's natural in our broken, sinful, human being selves okay we depend on God to help us be more like him to be long-suffering to be patient and to l- l- not return evil for evil no matter how natural it is and no matter how bad they've done things to you because I know there are people who have betrayed you and hurt you and this and and you can say this with words from a, from a pulpit but living it out is another entirely difficult thing and so we depend on our God to help us when those moments come to actually live like him and to follow the example and the long-suffering nature of Jesus. One of the most beautiful examples of this you'll find several times in the New Testament, one being Stephen in the book of Acts. People are stoning him, and he's praying for their forgiveness. I mean, he's, he sees God. He has a direct line of communication, what it looks like with God, and rather than say, hey, God, a little lightning would be helpful, he says, forgive them of what they're doing to me right now. I want that kind of heart, and I hope that you want that too. Because it's not natural and it's not easy. And you know, as we, we're going to move in and take communion, which I love moving into communion after difficult things like this, because it actually reminds us that we have a better standard to live by. And so if our servers, you want to go and prepare to serve communion to us, the the example we have is Jesus, who also prayed forgiveness for the people who were murdering him while they were murdering him. He was not telling them, "Okay, in about 3 days I'm going to rise and then you're going to get it." Okay, that's not what Jesus prayed on the cross. That's not what Jesus said from the cross. He just said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." And it's it's such a weird thing, but just think about this. How weird would the world be? How much different would we look? As we went out into our workplaces and into our daily life, how different would we look at the family reunions or the Christmas gatherings if we lived exactly like this? Rather than telling people off, telling them what we think they need to hear, what if we should just continued to bless those who hurt us? What if we continued to never be overcome by evil, but no matter what, we by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, we would cling to what is good so that we lived in His example day in and day out, so that we followed the example of Jesus who came into the world for a bunch of lost wretchful sinners who had n- no reason to he had no reason to let us keep living because we had so disobeyed him. Jesus came down into this world and took the worst for us. I pray that we can have that same motivation of hope for salvation for the world that he had. And I just think, man, things would look so much different. How much different would, would Christians be if we weren't always angry, always ranting, always returning and living the same way as everybody else? And not, every, not all of us do that, but, but I think all the ones that get on the news do. <laughs> All the ones that you see holding signs and picketing and, and all the ones that tend to get microphones on big stages, they just all every, we just tend to come off a little angry. And I think, man, we could be so different if we lived according to this fruit, patience. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this chance to uh, be patient. Thank you for this opportunity, this command, this calling, this challenge to be patient. And you've called us to long-suffering and that is not a fun command. I mean, you, it'd be better if you called us to, uh, you know, I like the one about joy a few weeks ago a little better than this. I like the one about peace a little better than this. The command to love is, is even, seems a little easier than this command to show long-suffering patience. But it's, it's these moments, how we respond when we're mistreated, how we respond when we're hurt and brokenhearted, it's these moments that really show us how our faith is going to play out, how serious we are about our our desire to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And so I pray that you would challenge us this morning, challenge us as we leave here today, challenge us as we go into our lives and we actually start encountering maybe the people who, who hurt us and the people that drive us up a wall, as we see situations that make us just think, man, the whole world, everybody around me is immoral, and we just want to get so angry at it. I pray that you would let these verses from Romans 12 and and 2 Peter 3 be in our hearts and we would show the world the same patience that you have shown us and that we would have a heart not for the destruction of others, the the justice and repayment for others and revenge for others, but we would have a patient heart hoping that all would come to find salvation and forgiveness in Christ and and an, an eternity in heaven. So challenge us by your powerful Holy Spirit, Father, grow us in this area because It is not something that comes natural to most of us, and we're going to need your help. Thank you for your son who modeled this great selflessness and ultimate sacrifice on the cross. He is our divine example time and time again, and I pray that we do not forget that Jesus is the reason why we live this way. He is our hope. He is our promise. He is our motivation as we live our lives every day. And it's in his amazing name that we pray. Amen.